All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Thinking Well Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tom. What's going on, Tom? What's up, man? I feel, like I, yeah, I, was like, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while, but it's been like I know. three days. Yeah. Well, then we were here. Oh, wait. It was, it was though, a, a little over a week ago since the last time we were in here. Oh, or sure. no, it was a week ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't how, know. How time, are things time going? Time's all just running together. Yeah, how are things going in your life? Good, man. Just a whole bunch of stuff going on and... Uh, a lot of irons in the fire keeps me busy keeps me not idle so um good stuff what about you good for the most part I don't, yeah my voice is a little little hoarse i'm still getting over a little bit of a sickness something congestion whatever it is it's gripped the entire church man it's and, uh, it's insane it's uh it's the worst just kind of like a fluctuation like a few hours i'm just freezing and then the next couple hours i'm just burning up and it's just I'm glad I'm sitting across the room from you. Yeah, it's just the worst. It's not fun, but other than that, great. Just uh, staying busy with work and, and family and very, very busy. Good. That's that's the, But that's the way we stay out of trouble, right? Oh, for sure. Stay, it keeps our minds from wandering. and. Well, you said it right. I mean, keep, keeping you from being idle. There's, yeah. no, there's nothing worse yeah. than an idle man. So we were definitely not built for that. That's why God told Adam to keep the garden, right, and to tend to it. He, he knew he knew that man needed something to do in his wisdom. So. Oh, absolutely. Well, I don't, I don't. There's a podcast episode. the The usefulness of being a man in today's culture, and not consumed with video games and sitting in front of the TV all the time, and but. That, that's a completely different subject. I guess we won't go there today, but that needs to go on the list somewhere. We'll, yeah, we'll put it on the list for sure, because I think that's important nowadays. It's it's fleeting, unfortunately. But today... Speaking of lists... Yeah, uh, we're going to be discussing lists. I guess that's kind of the, the broad topic, but really, you know, we want to look at those those parts of the Bible that, uh, you know, you, you may have uh, skipped over once or twice while... Uh, well, while reading through the scriptures, um, you know, it's, you know, when you talk about parts of Genesis or the first chapter of Matthew, there's some in Luke, mm-hmm. um, and, and you see all these names and it's whoever, you know, begat whoever, begat whoever. And it's, I mean, chapters and in, in full chapters, right? Of just, just yeah, names. most of Chronicles, right? It's just right. this person and this person, and, and then you'll get a short and it, yeah. story and then you'll get more lists. Right. Um, so... So the, the the catalyst for this really was uh, here this last week. We had uh, our preaching workshop here at the church, and Brother Daryl Sparks was in town. And um, all, while I was I was with our our children's church on Sunday morning, which I heard that was also um, just a great message, uh, powerful message. In the afternoon service, he he spoke on uh, Romans. 
1524 through 1627. And I'm not going to rehash that entire message, but if you've ever read that portion of scripture, it goes through and it's Paul listing out like, hey, greet this person, greet this person, greet this person. And for some of them, he, Paul has like a little phrase that he says, and for some of them, he doesn't. He just says, hey, and so-and-so, uh, tell him to greet his mother, who was also a mother to me. And, uh, and just, he goes through and he's got, he mentions all these names. And even the person that's like, had penned the letter for Paul was like, and I greet you too. Um, and just a really powerful message on like the importance of names and uh, lists. And that got my wheels turning um, as far as all of the lists that we like read over in the Bible and skim through. And what, what one of the things that uh, Brother, Brother Sparks started with, I thought was really cool. And I'm going to quote him on this because this is kind of the basis for like why I wanted to sit down and talk about this. Cause I think a lot of Christians feel like it, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, yeah, the, the, I get there's caught not up a, in the, in the begats, begats, begats. Right. Well, right? there's not like an understanding, I think for a lot of Christians of what, what they're there for. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if, if you are a biblicist and you truly believe that all scripture is the inspired word of God. Yeah. Hey, the, these lists, they're, they're, there's a reason why they're there. Absolutely. Right. They have utility. Um, so why are they there? Why are they in our Bible? What's, what's the importance of these lists? And so the, the line that he used that, I, that I'll quote, and this will be the, the only quote that I use from him for the entire, um, discussion, but he said, um, I hope you don't feel guilty for not being moved by these portions in God's word. Like if you read through a list of stuff of names and you're just like, well, it didn't um, there. I don't feel like there was any practical application in there at all. Right. Uh, He just wanted everybody to know, like, don't feel guilty. But at the same time, and and, uh, our, our pastor Zach has said this before, like there are things inside of some of those lists that if we just skip through them, um, we're going to miss something because I mean, they're not, we're never going to get like some huge doctrinal statement or conviction from a list of names. Um, But I do, I do believe in just, uh, just studying this week and after listening to his message that, um, that there are very, very important things. And we've been discussing them some in our, in our Sunday school hour on Sunday morning too. Just some of the lists of names. We just came through that, that portion in Genesis where it kind of goes through and lists out everything. Right. Well, I'll say this, Tom, you know, I, I feel like the last, let's say six months, right? Um, yeah, I would say it was, it's within six months. So Zach actually, our, our main, our head pastor here, Zach Hatton, actually preached a message on the names um, in, I believe, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, a while back, and since then, it's kind of just—it's been kind of a central, centralized part of our study. Whether it's been, like you said, in Sunday school, um, or even up to a few weeks ago during you know the preacher's workshop, and then while he was, uh, well, while Mr. Uh, Terrell Sparks was here preaching mm-hmm. for us and like that. Um, yeah, I, w- I would say you know just as a church, as um, me personally, I've just been kind of surrounded with this topic for the last you know four or five months, um, regardless. So like and and that message, I don't know if you can remember back to it when Zach when Zach taught about it, 
but he was going through. I mean, the, the ones in the ones in Matthew are the ones that a lot of people. Yeah, it's like yeah. okay, let's go to chapter two, um, and uh, it was. I mean, it was eye opening for me. Mm-hmm. Where like, because I was guilty of it. You know, I'd go through there and be like, you know, kind of skim through it and be like, all right, cool. Like, you know, all right, just a whole bunch of names and begat. All right, okay, got it. Yeah, moving on. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to kind of slow down and say no, this there's a reason why this is recorded. It's not just for us to skim over. Um, so I think it's interesting how we're, you know, we kind of came up with this topic and we're tackling this, but this has been kind of top of mind for, for a long time. And and I think it's cool the way that God like works like that, right? Like here we are sitting here talking about how, you know, a lot of people don't feel like this is a really important part of the Bible, but yet as a church, we've kind of been discussing it, like you said, for the past few months. So I, I think there's coming this realization that like, hey, these things are important. And even in some of our discussions in our Sunday school class in Genesis, it's been cool to see like um, these light bulb moments, you know what I mean? Where people are like, oh, like I didn't even realize like that's who that was or because uh, New Testament to Old Testament, right? Like some of the names don't necessarily sound the same because New Testament obviously written in Aramaic and Greek and the Old Testament written in Hebrew. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that don't, the names don't sound the same, but they mean the same people. Right. Um, and I, it, it's just really cool in that way. So there's, so there's the genealogies that you see throughout all of uh, Genesis. You've got uh, Leviticus is a list, and Deuteronomy are basically a list of laws. Right. Right. Um, and I think I think it's interesting as we talk about lists in general, like since we're not bound by the law anymore, why was it important for God to preserve all those laws? And I think people are like, well, I mean, there's, there's the law where you have to wash your hand and there's the law that, you know, that you have, you can't touch. Um, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean for X amount of days and you can't eat, uh, you can't eat anything that, that chews its cud and you, you can't do this and you can't do that. Or wait, it, you have to eat something that chews the cud, but not split hoofed. That's right. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. And, and there's all these laws and, I think one of the most important thing uh, when you look at those portions on the law, why did those things need to be preserved for us? And the conclusion that you that you come to when you study those things out, and I'm not saying that everybody needs to go study every jot and tittle of the law, memorize it, because at the end of the day, we're no longer under the law. But what the law points, points out and what makes it important is the fact that it identifies for us how much we fall short. The, the I don't know, 632, I think, is the number. Uh, it might be 38. I might be misquoting that. But when you look at how many laws there were, right, there's, there's no way you could keep the first 10 that were given. So why did God feel the need to give more? Because he knew that the children of Israel were never going to be able to keep all of those, which was fine because he wanted them to have to give sacrifices for the sins that they committed, for the ways that they broke the law, because it created a mentality of, I'm guilty, I need repentance. For repentance, there has to be sacrifice. And it's the, it's, I love, I don't know why I haven't heard this term, but here, like within the last year or so, but 
it's it's the meta narrative of Christ throughout the Bible, right? Exactly. Yeah, I, I love it. So, are all the lists of laws and every little thing that and this has to be this big, and when you bring this, it has to be this type, and it can't be this, and when you pour out a grain offering, it has to it can only be this much, or it has to be a minimum of this much. Um, it just points out that like yes, we're gonna fall short. We're going to fall short a lot because there, there, there are two ways to get to heaven. Keep 100% of the law or Jesus Christ. And we can't do the first one. He's the only one that did. So that's the only way for us as human beings to get to heaven. Uh, so when you look at the, the law in itself and why it's listed out the way that it is, we have to remember the whole time we're reading through that and all of these steps that have to be taken and the the fact that the in some sacrifices the sacrifice had to be consumed completely and in some sacrifices it didn't have to be consumed completely those little those little things mean something and they all point to the fact that we're sinners in need of redemption and that's why they're given to us and it's easy to read through those things and say, oh, this is law number 582, almost there. Um, but law number 582 are just as important as the rest because they all point to the fact that we've fallen short. That's what I love about it. That, that, that's, that's kind of been my mentality all week is thinking about like the lists and why they're important. And I just started thinking of like all the lists that I hate to read through <laughs> and I'm like man the law is tough yeah a lot of people uh a lot of people stop reading their bible in Leviticus <laughs> yeah they just sk- or they, they just, skip it every year yeah it's just yeah. that's it I've talked to people where they're like uh when I get to Leviticus I just skip over and go to the next book yeah. and I'm like okay and then you also skip over the next book <laughs> hey there's there's some good stuff in Leviticus um there's also, I mean, if you if you keep kind of looking forward, right? There's like numbers. Mm-hmm. That that whole book is a list, basically, yep. of of death. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, really. But I mean, you know, what's uh, kind of what's the purpose there? What do you think? That, what do you think the purpose of of numbers is? So when when you look at numbers and you, and you, it, it's funny that you say like it's of death. Well, so we establish the law, right? And then we show all the ways that we fall short of the law and we die. Well, if we haven't done what we were supposed to do according to the law as far as the sacrifices and pointing forward towards the redemption of Christ, then when we die, that's the finality of it. Like right. we go on into eternity never having that repentance and never being able to um, spend an eternity with God. And it goes to show like, this is why you need the law because you're going, this is why you need redemption and why you need the law. And this is why it's been pointed out that we're sinners because someday you're going to die. Everyone has an ending. You and I both have, you and I both have expiration dates. At some point, and at some point we're going to come to a time in our life where if we have not accepted Christ and recognized according to the law that we are sinners, the time for us to accept Christ will expire the moment that we do. And I, and I love how it ties all of that together because 
we read these individual books and they seem so laborious and so wearisome. But when you look at it in the picture that it's trying to paint, it's painting the fact that we are finite, like our bodies are finite. We, ha- we also have a beginning, but our time here on earth is going to have an end. So this establishes us as sinners. This establishes that we need a savior and we need a savior. We need to, we need to accept that savior within our lifetime because we're all going to die at some point. And within, within just a few generations, the previous generation is forgotten and they move on. The only record that we have of those generations at all, at all are recorded for us in the Bible. Right. And they're not, granted, not all of them were just names on a page, but most of them are just names on a page. And at some point in the future, if the Lord tarries, your name and my name may just be a name on a page. Now, there were some names that you can find from those pages that are referenced in other portions of the Bible. And that speaks to how God got either God used them or where God used them as an example, right? Like this person was so evil, like this is what happened to them. Or right. on the other side of that, God used them and this person was faithful. Uh, it goes back to kind of what we've been talking about in Genesis where Cain was, Cain was evil and went his way, right? But then in Seth's line, that's when men began to call on the name of God. Uh, and again, that's another portion of the Bible where you just got a whole bunch of lists of names, right? Um, which that's really interesting too, because one of the things that lends credibility to the validity of the Bible being a historical document, when you look, somebody in Seth's um, line was named Lamech. But then there was an evil guy in Cain's line who was also named Lamech. You, so you had a good one and you had an evil one. A, a very interesting, I, I, obviously I, this has been on my mind, but I, I was reading a, some interesting things like fiction writers do not use the same name in books that they write because they feel like, and it's proven that you have to explain every time you mention somebody, if they name a character in their book, Noah, and then they name another character in their book, Noah, then you've got to explain every time which Noah you're talking about. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to delineate. Yeah. Which would make a longer book. And more confusing if you have oh, to for sure. stop every time you're referencing especially if, <laughs> Noah 1 versus Noah 2. Right. Yeah. Well, and especially since if those two characters are on a completely different like path in the book and they they're each share, they each have a different storyline, like there, there's no way that a reader would be able to keep up with that. So you go all the way back and like they they did fiction writers don't have people have characters in their stories use or have the same names. When you look at the Bible, you don't see that, which is true. Because when you look at my own family name, Plemons, right? I'm not the first Thomas. I'm like the third. And then there are like three Ivans, which is my dad's name, my brother's name, and then it was his uncle's name as well. And there's like four or five Peters. 
and there, there's a, and that's just in the Plemons line. Like we're not even talking into the other lines that feed into my lineage. Right. But when you look at that, like realistically, families are going to have reoccurring names. Right. Yeah. And since the Bible has genealogies that consist of families, you're going to have repeated names in there, which really goes to the the genuine validity of the fact that a bi- the Bible is a historical document as well as inspired. And it's not fiction. So just the fact that some of those lists exist and that some of those names are repetitive in them speaks to that. And I thought that was, re- that was really cool. Um, I mean, one of the articles I read that pointed that out and I went back and I started kind of like looking at, especially the portion in, uh, in Genesis that we've been talking about, I was like, yeah, there's like a bunch of there. One of the name was Enos. And then there was an Enoch, which are also very similar. Uh, you look at some of the Kings in first and second Kings, and there's all these like repetitive or very similar sounding names like Jehoiakim and Jehoiakin and Jehoiad. And that like, they're all very similar sounding, which would be normal for a, for family names. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's, there's the idea of like a, like a surname or mm-hmm. like a common ancestral name that would from right. person to person differ maybe a little bit. And that's what, like at the end, that's usually where you'd see it. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when you're talking, you know, as you were saying that, Tom, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what we're kind of talking about in Genesis, right? And and how cool is it that when you're going through that, you, you get to kind of, you get a whole genealogy of, of Seth all the way to Abraham, Mm-hmm. Right. And you're able to go and say, okay, like this person, you know, had a son and it was this person. Yeah. This person had a son and it was this person. And you're able to follow it not only in a historical context, but in a continuity context. Right. So, yes, historically, it's great. Right. Whenever you can look back and say, like, historically, this lines up in my Bible yeah. and I can point to it, awesome. But when you look back at the other application, is I can draw a line from Adam to Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And how cool is that? Yeah, and that that's the that's the list in Luke, yep. right? Um, just it, it's amazing to me too when you and it's important not just to give the names, but I love how the Bible like gives like ages when people were born and then how many kids they had and then the age that they die and you start realizing how everything's generationally tied together. Um, but stuff that I've never like really looked at and studied before. And when you actually do study them, uh, well, again, you're not going to get, you may not get like a, a hard, fast doctrine out of it. Oh, yeah. They, there's they're a, tough reads. But there's a yeah. message there yeah. for application right. in, in when you look at, especially with, with Seth through Noah, that you're talking a handful of generations and the world had gotten so bad that God was like, eh, um, I regret that I created mankind. I'm going to destroy all but one family. And for for us as men and for us as parents and uh, when we look at raising our kids a certain way, it's so important when you look at those passages like that to remind ourselves that like, hey, how I lead my family how I partner with my wife to raise our kids has an impact. And if 
if if I let go of certain tenets of the faith, then the next generation is going to let go of one or two more, and then the next generation is going to let go of one or two more. And while we know that God will preserve his people until he returns, I'd like for the Plymouth's name to be one of the families that can be said to be faithful. There's a type of legacy that we would want to leave as Christian men and as Christian parents is that our, our, we were found faithful, our kids were found faithful, our grandkids were found faithful, and on and on down through the generations. But you'll never think about stuff like that if you don't look at the lists. And it's not that we, it's not that, man, you look at some of the lists and there's, it's weird to say that it's my favorite and you brought this up before we started, but it's weird to say that it's my favorite, but it, it, it is. I understand why though. Um, it's the story of Rahab in the Bible. And we've said, we've said the Matthew, the genealogy in Matthew one referenced it multiple times. In verse 5, right, it says, And Salmon begat Booz of Rechab, and Booz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. So there's a, a couple of names in there that are super interesting, not just, not just Rechab, which is also the... So this is one of those cases where, like, the names are a little bit different because of the language difference. But Booz is Boaz. Right. That's in the book of Ruth. Rahab was his mom, right? Who is Rahab. And if you don't know the story of Rahab, you're about to get like the really fast version of it. And Kyle, you can jump in anytime. But the. There is there the Boaz and Ruth. I don't want to like just skip over that either, because those are also really important. Because a lot of people don't realize that Ruth was a Moabitess, which God specifically cursed the Moabites, and also cursed any Israelite that were to marry a Moabite. But she wasn't ever supposed to be in the lineage of anyone important. But yet when you look, she's literally the great-grandma of David. The great-grandma of David. That's insane to me. Like when I realized that today, like it registered with me like, so so David probably knew his great grandma Ruth, right? Right. And probably heard the story of how her and great grandpa Boaz met and you know you know what I mean? Right. Like that's insane. Just crazy to me. That like it never registered. I I've read through that passage. I don't know how many times, and to and going through it this week, like 
today, literally today, I was like, wait, Ruth was David's great grandma? Shut up. The cursed woman that no one should have ever married. But God used her because she said to Naomi, your God will be my God. And Ruth began calling Jehovah God, Lord. I mean, I don't even, I don't, I, I'm going to go into Rahab anyway, because I just love the story, but I don't even have to go into Rahab. Like, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what kind of history you have. God can use you for great things. Right. Well, yeah, use you directly in the lineage of David. Yeah. Which is the lineage of Christ. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, you'll get into Rahab here in a second, and it's even crazier. Yeah. But it's, you're absolutely right. No matter where you come from, what you've done, your your people group, um, even when God has cursed your people group, mm-hmm. when you turn and repent and call upon him, he can use you for, for whatever. Mm-hmm. Anything, everything. Yeah. And this is exactly what you see with Ruth. He, he used her for everything. So, Rahab, as I said, is the same as Old Testament Rahab. And if you don't know the story, I mean, if you grew up in Sunday, in Sunday school, you probably heard like the kind of Sunday school story of Rahab, but it's not really a character that we focus on as adults. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. We, yeah. we, I mean, she gets casually mentioned, and I mean, what, inevitably, we somebody reads through that passage in either uh, Luke or Matthew at some point, right? And she's not mentioned in Luke because it's a different side of the lineage, but she's mentioned in Matthew. And I mean, I don't, I don't think we ever really hear. I mean, you could preach a whole message on her. About God's God, the way that God showed grace to this woman. So, um, I'm going to share it with you. You can find the story of Rahab in Joshua two, and concluding um, the story is in chapter six. So, in the book of Joshua, Joshua sends these two spies to Jericho, right? And he he wants them to spy out any weaknesses in the city's defenses. When they arrive. I thought this was really interesting. Like, I've because I've always asked myself, like, why did they go to a harlot's house? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, Western eyes, right? That was probably one of the places that also offered lodging in the city. So they get there, and a harlot, just to be clear for everyone, is a prostitute. Just in case that's not clear, uh, biblical prostitute they refer to as a harlot. But they go to this, they go to this woman's house, right, and. This woman's name, specifically mentioned in the Bible, is Rahab. And while they're in the city, somehow word gets to the king. And I love how it's somehow word gets to the king. And this isn't specifically mentioned in the Bible, so I'm not going to say that this is biblical. But it makes you think, like, were some of the king's people there? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, how did it get to the king so quickly? Yeah, Yeah. like... statesmen or soldiers were hanging out at Rahab's with whatever, not whatever, but with everything that was going on there, right? And so it makes it back to the king. And the enraged king sends 
messengers to Rahab and says, hey, you need to send these men out for my men to take. Well, instead, she takes and hides them. And she lies to the king's men and says, hey, yeah, they were here, but they left already. Um, I'm pretty sure they went out the gate right before sunset. If you hurry up before the gates closed, you might be able to catch them. They went this way. So the king's men take off, right? Like they exit the city and they take off in the wrong direction on the on the whatever rabbit trail that she sent them down, right? So when Rahab goes to tell the two spies the news, she says that she knows the Lord. All caps. All caps, brother. What what is what does it mean when you see all Lord in all caps? Well, that in our King James version, that means that the word w- w- that was used was Jehovah, right? Um, so whenever you see that, whenever you see it, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, um, the name of God being referenced is Jehovah, right? So, in, as soon as she gives them shelter and goes back up to talk to them, she calls. She doesn't say to them, "Hey." Um, your God or the God, she says, Jehovah. And immediately, like, you don't call the most high God by his name unless it means something to you. She called him Lord. And in that simple statement, and you, we can see this in Hebrews 11.31, and I'll read this in a minute, um, she acknowledged the sovereignty of God. In Hebrews 11.31, which, uh, which most would refer to as the Hall of Faith, right? In Hebrews 11. But in 11.31, it says, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had received the spies with peace. And she goes on and she res- she uses the term lord multiple times in the in the story in Joshua before she makes a covenant with the men, right? Because she helps them, she's like, "Hey, I know Israel's going to come and you guys are going to take over the city." Like she didn't know. And as far as the spies were concerned, when you look at the story that they go back and tell Joshua, they're like, "Hey, they're fortified. I don't think there's any way we're going to be able to take this city down without an act of God." And God was like, "Cool." I can deliver on that. Bet. (laughs) So she believed before she sent them away that God was going to give them the victory in that city. Yep. And she goes in and starts telling them about like, oh, when we heard about the year, the victories that God has given y'all in this city and this city, like the men of this city were trembling. It caused me to believe. And so they were like, yeah, no problem. Uh, because you've helped us, we're on our lives. We swear on our lives that your family will not be harmed. And she extends, by faith, she extends the question that she asked for protection to like all of her father's family. And they were like, no, absolutely. Like, we're going to go ahead and protect you. And they, t- they tell her like, hey, when we come into the city, hang this and make sure that everybody in your family is in your house. Everybody that wants to be saved and not destroyed because I mean, we're going to decimate the city when, when we come and do this, just hang this scarlet cord in your window. And we'll know that we'll remember that this is the house. 
And she was like, okay, I'll do that. And when the Israelites came and the walls of Jericho fell, which there's a whole portion there in Joshua before the walls of Jericho, y'all, Joshua is like <coughs> one of the best wartime books in the Bible. There's so many cool things that happen in that book. Yeah, I mean, talk about just like an action movie, right? I mean, yeah, like in over and over. Like, it's a page turner. Like, There's if you so understand cool what's things. happening, and it's easy to, I mean, this kind of goes with the, our discussion on the lists, right? Like, it's easy to read past them sometimes, especially if you're like doing the abide challenge and you're like, oh, I've got to get these chapters knocked out today. And it's easy to approach that as a reading assignment or approach our Bible reading as a reading assignment, like something that we do um, as a habit. And don't get me wrong, I don't want to. I don't want anybody to think that reading the Bible is not a good habit. It is a great habit. Right. Um, and regardless of how you read it, constantly being in it, and even when you don't have time to study, refreshing yourself with the word—that's what it's there for. It's all profitable. It's all good for you. But I think sometimes we read through things so fast and we forget, like, whoa, hang on. Let's start painting the picture in your mind. They, they're walking around the wall in, in silence. Okay, what are we doing tomorrow? Now we're going we're gonna to walk around the wall. What are we, what are we doing tomorrow? We're, we're going we're gonna to go walk around the wall. Like, wait, what? Again? Yeah, we, we have to. Like, this is what God said that we needed to do. <sighs> I guess we'll go walk around the wall again. <laughs> you know what? Can you imagine, like, parents and their kids? I don't want to go walk around the wall again today. Come on, we're going. We're walking right, around the wall. Right. God said so. Let's go. I will turn this <laughs> procession around. <laughs> well, it's interesting, too, in, in that particular instance, God gave them kind of a an interesting task, right? Just a mundane, repetitive task. Just hey, we're for days. We're just going to walk around, yeah, the city. Um, I believe he did that to not. I mean, to not only test their faith. Right? Obviously, yeah, he wanted them to. Hey, although this looks weird, and we don't understand why you're having us do this. Mm -hmm. Like God is was fully capable of just like snapping his finger or 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 saying demolish it, whatever. Yeah. And it, the, yeah. the city just exploding and being done. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't need to have them do that. But it's another instance where he has them do something that at the time probably seemed like you just said, right? Seemed super strange and super odd. Yeah. Just to test them to see one, if they'd actually do it. And two, that if they did do it, they would have the faith to do it. Yeah. Right. It, they didn't know what was going to happen. They had to trust God that he was going to keep good on that promise. Yeah. That if we do this, that God will deliver us. God is going to take care of this obstacle. And isn't that just like the story of our lives? Because I think when you think about it, like, wow, Israel had a lot of faith to just do the mundane thing and let God take care of the rest. And then you go a couple of pages later and Israel is horrible. And then you go a couple of pages later and you're like, wow, Israel's faith. I don't know if I could have faith like that. And then you go a couple of pages further and you're like, wow, come on, Israel, what's up? 
Oh yeah, get, story get, of my life, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's another thing too, right? When you when you start getting into like you know towards the end of your Old Testament, mm-hmm. right? And it's just a very cyclical. Israel's doing. God's people are just are failing. They can't quite get it. And God shows shows restraint. He sends prophets and judges, and then again, he's just he spares them, and he's yeah. patient, and he's he's understanding, and they just keep going down and down and down. Um, there's a very cyclical nature that you see there. Yeah, like really, really till the end of your 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 Old Testament, where God kind of just goes silent for about 400 years, right? Yeah. But no, I I agree with you. You know, um. You know, you kind of spoke a little bit. You touched on it briefly. Just talk about lists, right? Hebrews eleven, yep. right? The, the whole the whole chapter of Hebrews eleven yeah. is 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 a list, um, commonly referred to the Hall of Faith. But the the writer of Hebrews is listing out these honorable men and women that were godly that you know that Christ mm-hmm. used or God used, right? What's interesting about that list, and I'll I'll read it to you. People the men are mentioned, right? Abel. Makes right. sense, right? Yeah. Noah, makes sense. Abraham, obviously. Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, makes sense. Joseph, Moses, Rahab, mm-hmm. Gideon, Samson, David. Now, all these people had issues. Yeah. Some of them bigger than others. <laughs> but they, they Sa- Samson, who? <laughs> yeah, they've all had issues. All different backgrounds, all sinners, but God calls them out by name. Yeah, and says these people look to these people. These people had the faith that is required. These people, despite their background, repented. They turned. They got it. Yeah, you know, in a certain way, right? It's well. That's the cool thing. I mean, you look at some, you look at some of those names. And a lot of people don't don't like to speak about uh, Gideon in in this way, right? But you look at the story of Gideon. Great, great faith, right? Great faith, obedient to God. But towards the end of his life, like he was worshiping idols again. Yep. But yet he made it into the Hall of Faith. Like it's it was his faith. In God, that's what God used to make him righteous. Right. And once God makes you righteous, like, no matter what you do, there's no forfeiture of that. Right. You you look at Samson and God was like, hey, uh, I'm going to give you power. Just don't just don't cut your hair. Right. And you look, the entire story of Samson's life is rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. And then in the end, Samson, realizing that he was nothing without God, God was like, yeah, Hebrews 11. Right. You know, it's an interesting point you bring up, right? No matter no matter what you do, mm-hmm. God is going to use you if he wants to use you. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing bad enough you can do. If God wants to use you, he's going to use you. Yeah, I think every one of these names, right? There's something you can probably point to and say, that's it. Yeah. That's why they're there. But yeah, I mean, Rahab being, just because we were talking about Rahab, um, yeah, the fact that she's mentioned multiple times, right? And then there in Hebrews 11 is 
asto- asto- uh, you know astonishing to me that she that she made it there um you know given who she was and what she did you know yeah. the, the way that god used her and her faith outweighed everything else in her life and even and she's mentioned again and this will be the last one i do for rahab but it's it goes back to what we were talking about about the hebrews 11 passage right in uh in james 2 verses 23 through 25 and this is kind of james maybe referencing the hebrew letter but it coincides with the hebrew letter where he says in the scripture was fulfilled which saith abraham believed god and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of god now even if we just rest there for a second one of the biggest lists in the Bible is the list of the stuff that Abraham did wrong. He lied and said that his wife was his sister. More than one time. More than one time, right? God, which is, and it got him in trouble more than which one time. It's crazy to be like, you'd think like, oh, okay, like this seemed like a good idea at the time. And then he does it again. You're just like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, come on. But I love the fact that God put that in there, right? Because again, that's something we, we can look and we can see ourselves in there. Right. Every time. Like, oh man, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have done that. Oh God, God, will you forgive me of that? I I don't want to do that anymore. And then the next time it happens, we're like, oh, I did it again. Like exactly the same way. Right. Fell into the temptation exactly the same way, knowing that it was gonna happen fell into it exactly the same way and made the exact same decision again. And we're like, oh, I'm sorry, I need to be forgiven. And God just forgives over and over again. Um, but in verse 24, he says, ye see then how that by works a man is justified or made perfect. So it's not saying, just to clarify, it's not saying that we're, that we're justified that our justification comes from our works, right? It's saying that God is using our works to perfect us and that our faith, you can't just have faith and it won't show in works. Right. Our faith shows itself in our works. But in verse 25, he says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. I thought that was really key because it goes back to what we talked about when we when she said Lord, right? Like it's not the fact that she helped the spies that saved her; it's the fact that she acknowledged Jehovah and submitted to His power and believed in Him. And that's what it says. I mean, that's what James is alluding to. Like she she wasn't justified by works, but she was justified by her faith. That's what, that's what saved her. That's why she's mentioned in Hebrews, right? Because of the faith that she had, not because of the works. Now her, her faith showed itself in her works as should ours. But I mean, that's, that's one long story to show the importance of just one name. Right. I mean, a, a, a prostitute and not the only one, by the way, um, so many deceptive people. Uh, I think of Tamar. I won't. I won't go into Tamar, but Tamar is another like just amazing story of somebody who is 
in the lineage of Jesus's earthly father. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. And man, Matthew one is hands down like my favorite list in the Bible. Cause in, in Matthew one, there's so many different things that you see in that list. And one of the things you see in that list is God uses people to work out his will. He doesn't have to, but he delights in it. Like in the plan that he set in motion before he created mankind, he used mankind to work out. I thought it was really cool when you said uh, that God that God's going to use you no matter where you're at. The Bible says he puts up kings and takes them down, right? Like they're not even, these people don't even believe in him. Right. And it's like God God's will is going to going to yeah, get worked matter. out. Like no. it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you believe in him. You can be a stone cold atheist. If God decides that he needs to use you as part of his plan, he will. Yeah. I mean what I mean what a great picture of the triumph of the glory of God. Right. Right. That it doesn't even have to be believers, right? Like you just said, like God is going to overcome any sin in anyone's life, the darkness of sin in anyone's life today for his glory. Yeah. He's fully capable and he does it all the time. And, and the cool thing about that is like people are like, well, God doesn't work against people's free will. No, you're right. But see, here's the cool thing about God. We have this. We, we've probably talked about this before, but we have this idea that like, because we see linearly in time that God does too, now God already knows what people are going to do. So he moves in our now to enact the future that he already sees. So he, he's not affecting our free will. He just knows what we're going to do and works that as part of his plan. So Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. God is going to move and his will will be done. Right. And even if we look at the world right now and we're like, well, God's not moving in, uh, in this area of the world or this area of the world. Like, so sin exists in the world and we have free will. And God would, God would have it that none should perish, right? But that all should come to repentance. But not all are going to come to repentance. Right. And that's exactly right. Like, what does it take? Yeah. What repentance to turn away from? Mm-hmm. That is what it requires. Well, because of the free will, I think I think one of God's greatest gifts that He gave was simply that the free will. Yeah. Because you can't force someone to love you. You can't force someone to have faith in you. If you force someone to love you, that's not really love. Right. It that's has exactly be, right. It has to be unconditional. It has to be unwarranted. Yep. And that's exactly the proposition that he gives everyone. He he like you said, he would he wishes that no one would would perish. That all would come to him. But it's exactly that. You have to make that decision. It has to be you know what? I'm going to turn away from. I'm going to repent from who I was. Yeah. The, this dead person I was. 
and I have faith that you can make me alive forever, and you're the only way to do that. Yeah, that, that's what it comes down to. But I mean, that's the best way I've ever heard it ever ever heard it put. You can't force someone to love you. God's not going to force you to love Him. That's right. He's He's not going to do it. Well, and and that that's the cool thing too, right? Like, He could. Yeah. He's God, but He loves us so much that he wants us to return his love of our of our own volition. He wants us to love him in return because we want to love him in return. Right. And I think that's one of the things that's so cool about like all these lists you see. I mean, obviously David, right? That's one that's pretty common that people talk about, but David again too is a is a beautiful example of failure and faith and failure and faith. Oh yeah, I mean over and over again. I mean we're talking about uh, Drew, our deacon sent me a little a little clip thing this week and it was it was talking about David and like David, right? Pretty simple. God used him to slay Goliath. He had faith that Jehovah would protect him and slay Goliath. Years later, he walks out onto a balcony. Got to watch out for balconies, man. I know, man. He, he walks out and he sees this woman bathing, right? Falls into sin. Right. When they just spiral. I mean, that whole story is... Oh, just spirals out of control, right. right? Falls into sin. It lets it run for like a year without repenting of it. And is, I mean, if you look at some of the Psalms that he wrote during that time, like Psalms 32 is a good example of it just crushed like soul crushing depression that he was in, not just because of the circumstances that happened after that, as far as like his, his child dying because of it. Right. But like the fact that he like, he just thought he was going to get away with it. Like yeah. everything that he orchestrated, then the subsequent murder of her husband. And yet God says, because a man after his own heart. Like what? Well, yeah, because he kept returning to God. He recognized that he was nothing. Even if it took him a little bit, he recognized that before God, he was nothing. He was, he always knew that he was less than, less than perfect. And even in his moments of repentance of like true repentance, where he's just like broken he did not attribute his righteousness to himself. You look throughout Psalms and he's always talking about God as his righteousness and you shall be my righteousness and your righteousness is my righteousness. Um, just over and over again. But from, I guess for me, from a list perspective, there's all those things that we look at and... Man, take a list from the Bible and really, really look at it. And then I think one of the coolest thing, and I know I know some people can't uh, can't stay for second service just because of commitments that they have and stuff like that, but one of the coolest ways that Brother Daryl Sparks brought this home for me was he was like, you look at your church role. What's your church role? A list of names. Like every other list of names in the Bible, 
But you look at the names, the list of names that Paul gives sometimes, and he specifically says, like, many times in his letters, I pray for you every day. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, definitely where he calls people out by name. Yeah. He says, I'm praying for you. But you see it several times where he's in prison where he's like, I I look forward to seeing you again and fellowshipping mm-hmm. with you again. I mean, you see it over and over and over again. Um Paul evidently was a people person. I mean, he, yeah. he he loved he loved to be in communion with the congregations of the church, you know, in the churches. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, your your membership, your role at your church. Um, how closely do you know that list? How, I mean, when was the last time you, you you saw that list? Yeah, um, it's important, right? And I, I think that's kind of the application, right? Because it's you know, anytime you hear preaching, right? God's word is opened. Um, whether it's a preacher behind a pulpit on a Sunday or just in your own personal Bible reading, right? There should be application drawn out that's in right. both instances. Any anytime God speaks, which by the way, that's through his word, there should be a response. There's an application. Right. Well, I mean what what do you do when you come down to something like, you know, your your membership, your 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 role there, right? Um, I think it's easy to kind of get in a routine when you come to, you know, a place like this, a church and you're, Hey, we got the kids here and it's, Hey, we barely made it on time and we're going to, we're going to be here and it's, it's messy. And, you know, we have a routine that we do on a Sunday. Yeah. But I mean, do you, do you know what's going on in, in your church with mm-hmm. the people in your church? Do you know, do you, do you know the needs? Do you know who's sick? Do you know who's not here? Um, that, that's something that, you know, Zach actually challenged me on, uh, this last year of like really knowing who people are in our yeah. church. Yeah. You know, there seems to be like a disconnect sometimes between like maybe a younger generation and an older generation of people where you're just like, I recognize their face, but I couldn't tell you their name. Yeah. And you know, yep. um, Hey, they're, they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and not only that, like we've covenanted with them together in ministry. Right. And you're right. When, when you look at it, when, especially when we look from the front, right? Even the pews look like a list mm. and there's, there's people in the list, right? But I think one of the cool things about Paul that ties into that is when he spoke of people, he always had like a sentence or a descriptor for them. Like he knew them. Right. Not a single list of names that he goes through is just a list to him. They were all people who had touched his life somehow and that he had shared portions of his life with that mattered to him. And while he wasn't members of their churches, they were all members of his family because he was a member of God's family. And I do like, I, I, I miss that a lot. It, it has been a convicting week for me. I even went so far as uh, like when brother Daryl was uh, preaching, I, I wrote down a question to myself, like when you pray, do you pray for people? Yeah. Meaning, do you like 
just to clarify, like, are you asking yourself, like, do you call people out, like, specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because it's easy. It's easy to sit and, like, and Lord, I pray for our church, and I know that there are people struggling, and you go on and on and on. Well, who's struggling? Yeah. Specifically, who? Like, I mean, we understand that that our pastor says, you know, there are people, there are people hurting in church, and there are people struggling in church, and there are people that have triumphs in our church, and there are people that have have had a victory recently in our church, and there are people that have experienced loss in our church. Like, he doesn't call them out by name, but do we know who they are? Like, as other mem, as fellow members, like, do we know who he's talking about? I don't all the time. Yeah. And it, that every, everything is more than just a list. It's easy to even skim over like our church life as something that we mark off of a list. And like all the lists in the Bible, we, we coast through them without pulling out the importance of them. And in our churches, we, and and I think our church does a really good job with like a sense of family and community and brother and sisterhood. And, um, but we could do better. And if we, if we did do better, what would that look like? When, when sometimes when you look out at our, at our church from the front, right? You can see the groups. There's the there's the senior saints, right? Back right. Yep. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right? everyone kind of sits in the same place. And then place. you have the kind of newer people that are sprinkled but still mostly towards kind of like the back left, right? I would say so. Yeah. Um you've got the You've got the Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, and Wednesday crowds that are going to be front, uh, right, and left, right? And then you've got faithful members that are that are sprinkled everywhere in between. And I, I think one cool thing that I've always noticed is that like our deacons are each kind of covering a section. It's kind, yeah, of, it's kind yeah. of funny. They have a, they have but, a sector. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they, yeah. They're, they kind of each func- in, functioning in, this, in these sections within our church. Because um, it's comfortable, right, to come into church and sit in your spot. How much would it just pull people up if like we didn't sit? Just switch it up. Where we sat, yeah. like come in on Sunday and um, I think I sit like three rows from the back, from the middle aisle on the right side, if you're looking at it from the front, right? Man, what if I came in on Sunday and sat in the back left? Yeah, I, I would think that uh, something was wrong. Maybe you're like backslidden or something. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but but like, like, why, why don't we do that, right? Like something that just popped in my mind is like, why, why do we think that we have to be so comfortable inside church mm, that is really good i mean like think about it though That's right really good. like if you go sit by someone you don't usually sit by or a visitor right i mean mm-hmm. yes could be uncomfortable but i mean like 
where I mean, show me, show me in scripture where it says in 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 church you should be. This is your safe zone. This is this is where you should be most comfortable. I actually say, I I respectfully disagree with that. Yeah, the opposite. Yeah, would be true. I think yeah, I think that you know it it should be a place where you know you're embracing visitors, you're fellowshipping with people that maybe usually you don't right. Mm-hmm. That just creates more unity in in today's churches. And also the other side of that is like, how many times have you sat in a church service and you've had your toe stepped on hard? That's not comfortable. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, I mean, preaching, opening God's word, the response hurts sometimes. Yeah. It's not always comfortable. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think I would, I would say this, and you know, kind of as we close, I would say, you know, just kind of looking at it, kind of chronologically, what kind of what we talked about is. Maybe maybe it's time to kind of go back to some of those lists, mm. and say, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm going to read through these." I'm, 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 but I'm like actually going to read through these. Yeah, and I'm going to let I'm going to let them like you know, maybe maybe it takes more than once. You know, read it over and over again, and maybe the prayer is, "Lord, sh- show me something new here." That's good. You know, because like I I think I know what this is about, mm-hmm. but like show me what what you want me to see here. Yeah, because. Hey, maybe the way that you feel about it could be changed. Or even, and to that point, like maybe there's a certain name in that list that you can just, you know, do a search on and see how many different times that name comes up. Um, This isn't isn't, uh, part of a list name, but we talk about... uh, one of my favorite little Bible, obscure Bible characters, Chim Ham, right? Like if I would have never seen his name and looked him up, um, I would have never known like the cool things about Chim Ham. I challenge y'all, look him up, C-H-I-M-H-A-M. Uh, again, not a list, but it's it's to that point, right? Like pick a name out, yeah. see if you can find something on it. And if you can't find something on that name, Pick another name out right. because I guarantee you, if you keep doing that, you're going to get to a name that gives context to that list that makes that list important, Right. that allows you to see exactly what you're asking God for. But I think it's funny sometimes, and I know this isn't what you mean, but like we sit here and we pray like, God, show me something, God, show me something, but we just read the same portion over and over and over again, but we never do any studying. Well, God doesn't typically work in that fashion. Yeah. It's just like you say, being uncomfortable, right? Like if you show up to church and you're consistently comfortable, there's not anything wrong with God's word. There's something wrong with your heart. You should be made uncomfortable by God's word because we are sinners. Yeah. We fall short. Yeah. I mean, it should be working in you it should always be work and if we're not willing to put in the work when we're studying and reading god's word like when we're reading god's word if something sticks out and let's say we don't have time to study it out right then like jot it down go back and look at like man i that really struck me i need to figure out what that is but a lot of times we'll we'll hit those portions and we'll just go past it and we won't ever go back and study but i think that's really good advice i think that's great advice like pick pick a couple of lists out of the bible Study one, read through it until you find with work, a little sweat, a little labor, yeah, it's gonna take a little, some time. A little page yeah, turning, sure. right? 
who would have thought that we could sit here and have, you know, a, this long of a conversation about a biblical list? Yep. And it, it all was sparked by, uh, oh, that's funny that I said sparked, all sparked by Brother Daryl Sparks and his focus on just a list in the Bible. Um, so I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but I want him to know that I appreciated it. I let him know the day that he was here too. It was, it was a great message. It really set my mind down this track to think, and, uh, hopefully it was beneficial. Um, are there, are there lists in the Bible that you don't understand or that you saw something really cool in that you'd like to share with us? We invite you to reach out to us. You can hit us up on podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook at LWBC underscore publications. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we look forward to it. Let us know if you've got any questions or if there's something we didn't clarify or if you'd like to hear the story of Tamar because that's also really cool. It's uh, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, that one. And then, yeah, I mean, I would challenge, I would challenge our listeners to do this um, because I don't think we went through it um, in the episode, um, but... Look up Chimham. Yeah. And as a little nugget of homework for everybody, um, we'll expound more on that maybe next time we talk. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll shed more light on that. But that that's everyone's homework. Look, look a little bit into that. Um, some cool stuff there. But no, we, we'd, no we'd love to minister to, to you guys um, um, uh, with anything that you guys need. Um, let us know if you have any, like you know, Tom said, if you have any questions about yeah. what we talked about. Um, or if there's a favorite list that you have or any insights that you have, anything that's helped you, we'd love to interact with you. Um, But yeah, we'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks with another installment. We appreciate everybody for for the support, taking the time to listen. Uh, It means the the world to us, and I know uh, it's uh, all to the glory of God. So, but uh, all right, we'll, we'll see everybody in two weeks. Stay safe, everybody. Have a good one.